To say one waits a lifetime for his soulmate to come around is a paradox. People get sick of waiting around, but the art of commitment is a saw that eventually cuts. It was 1983, and 18 months passed since the mysterious world of Buster Lee began. New characters have come on the scene. Things have changed for the better. Overwhelmed by success, Neely Cairo hired 20-year-old Mayella Williams as a personal assistant. Williams is psychic. She can remote view, but she has a long way to go. New, too, is wannabe celebrity and know-it-all 13-year-old Venture Falls. Joan Reynolds' niece ventured dreams of a career as a model, actress, and singer. Last but not least is a part-time surfer, child of privilege, and bon vivant, Mutt Keep News. He's driven, ambitious, and lacks an empathy chip. But Mutt Keep News is so movie star handsome, so dope, he's stopped every day by strangers who want his John Henry. Set your calendar to 1983, and welcome to part two of season one of the mysterious world of Buster Lee. working for a refugee program, philanthropists David and Millie McLean disappeared on a mountain road in Albania. David McLean, an advertising executive, was 71. Millie, his wife, was 57. The couple, who lived in New York, vanished when their car missed a turn on a winding mountain road during a rainstorm. With them were their driver and the European representative of the organization they were assisting, helping refugees worldwide. The McLeans were worth an estimated $800 million. They had one heir, a lovely daughter, a 20-year-old head-turner called Piper McLean, or simply, Piper. At 72nd Street and Central Park West, the Nebraska Apartments, built in 1880, was home to a who's who of famous people, including a pop musician, a movie critic, a retired movie star, a publisher, a political consultant, and well, take your pick. With 65 luxury apartments, there was something for everyone. At noon, in the high-ceilinged, mahogany-paneled first-floor offices of international investigators, Attorney Hayes Hargrove met with Earth Mother, tarot card reader, and super psychic, Neely Cairo. Two weeks ago, the normally hush-hush Neely Cairo agreed to appear on a TV show about the powerful women of New York. In a rare but much-seen interview, Neely described her company International Investigators as a combination of intuitive insight and traditional investigation. Her clients included financiers, governments, Ivy League universities, popular artists, sports stars, and tastemakers. 
She spoke briefly about her son, the remarkable Buster Lee, and his canine sidekick, Beck, the super pooch. Savvy viewers caught a glimpse of Maella Williams, Lars LaGuardia, Joan Reynolds, and there was a 30-second clip of Buster Lee swimming with Mason Grunwald and the vain but well-intentioned Mutt Keepnoose. It was a lively 12 minutes of television that posed more questions than it answered. But I digress. Where was I? Oh yes. At noon, days after the TV show, slumped across from her in one of his beloved khaki suits, was International Investigation's Master of Disguise, Lars, yes it's hard to say, LaGuardia. Beside him, wearing a sport coat, chinos, and bucks, was Neely's enigmatic son, Buster Lee. The gleam in his eyes brought a smile to even the sourest of sour pusses. Resting on the floor at his side was Beck, the blue healer. Leading the meeting was attorney Hayes Hargrove. He was worried about his client, the orphan daughter of David and Millie McLean, Piper. Let me see if I get this right, said Neely Cairo. Your client, Piper McLean, bought a castle in Bulgaria and plans to live there. It seems harmless enough to me. Standing up and looking at the traffic on 72nd Street, Hayes Hargrove said, the castle was owned by Prince Vusha and his daughter Viva. To oversee the deal, I flew to Bulgaria to start crossing the T's and dotting the I's. But the prince is stranger than anyone walking the streets of New York. Prince Vusha's family goes back 500 years and were masters of blood sport and evil deeds. There have been violent deaths in the village where Piper bought the castle. Passing a newspaper clipping to Neely, Hargrove said, Look here. This article mentions vampires and werewolves. Neely Cairo looked at the clipping and passed it to Lars. Now I know, said Hargrove. Vampires and werewolves sound ridiculous, but I'm worried. The prince is a proud and ruthless man. I'm afraid for Piper's safety. She may be 20, but she's a naif. As guileless as a coddled child of privilege from one of New York's wealthiest families. That's because she is a guileless, coddled child of privilege from one of New York's wealthiest families, remarked Lars. She may be as guileless as a coddled child of privilege from one of New York's wealthiest families, but that doesn't change anything, said Hargrove. Reading from deeper in the article, Lars said, Vampires reported in Bulgaria. It's out of a book about the Dark Ages, Lars continued. Recent reports have reached the city of a gigantic vampire terrorizing peasants of the neighborhood of the ancient castle. Buster said, Where's Piper McLean now? Hargrove said, She's entertaining the prince and his daughters in Cannes, but in a few days' time, Piper will leave France aboard the yacht Highlander to take possession of the Bulgarian castle. Squinting his eyes and chewing his index finger, Buster Lee said, How do we meet her? My office will handle that, Buster. For all intents and purposes, you and Lars will be emissaries of my firm, said Hargrove. Mama, said Buster Lee to Neely, I think we ought to take Mutt Keep News with us. Looking at her new box of tarot cards, Neely Cairo said, I was just going to suggest that. Mutt understands how the minds of the ultra-wealthy and unfocused work. I'll ask Maella to call him and see if he's available.
For the next three days, stopping for fuel in Newfoundland, Greenland, and Iceland in a fully refurbished vintage 1939 sea otter, Buster Lee, Lars, Mutt News, and Beck flew to France. After landing in the Azure waters of Bezos Seaplane Base, 100 kilometers outside Cannes, the young investigators hopped aboard Italian scooters, shipped to the seaplane base for assignments like this, and made their way to Cannes. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. Vampires. At the dock in Cannes were billions of dollars of yachts. Buster Lee and company planned to meet the melt-in-your-mouth socialite Piper McLean and her coterie aboard the Highlander. Just 20, Piper was everything you imagined a perky heiress to be. She was energetic, optimistic, and as shallow as a bus tour of Niagara Falls, New York. Yet despite her flaws, Piper was as satisfying to look at as mashed potatoes and gravy are to eat. Piper may have lost her parents, but her radiant beauty and bubbly personality had not diminished in the least. After boarding was done, the Highlander blew its horn and set sail east for the dangerous dark waters of the Black Sea. By invitation, Buster Lee in a bow tie and dinner jacket, Lars in a new oatmeal colored suit, and Mutt in a turtleneck, met Piper, wearing a flattering pantsuit in the Highlander's club room. Accompanying Piper were Prince Vusha and his strange daughter Viva. Vusha and Viva were the original owners of the Bulgarian castle Piper was negotiating to buy. In a suit as creepy as anything Count Dracula wore, 75-year-old Prince Vusha was as cold as a popsicle. Accompanying the prince, wearing a black veil encrusted with miniature white rhinestones, was his emaciated 40-something-year-old daughter, Viva. She was as weird as anything you'd find wandering the streets of Hollywood after 5 p.m., but not as dangerous. As you would expect from teetotalers, Buster had a cream soda, Lars an iced coffee, and Mutt a malted shake. Beck was hidden beneath the table his head resting on Buster Lee's shoe. As the prince and Viva spoke, a crucial point was revealed. Under the terms of sale, Prince Vusha and Viva were to live rent-free at the 30-bedroom castle until they passed away. In the conversation, it was learned the prince's family went back 500 years. In most ways, said Mutt, little has changed. Fusha and Viva live as though it's still the 16th century. Don't you want to see America? said Buster Lee. Tossing her head, Viva said, I have no desire. You see, Buster Lee, your civilization appalls my father and me. Your movie star president, your age of speed, of radio and television and atomic bombs. At home, my father and I live like our ancestors did 500 years ago. Many people would love to live like that, said Mutt, staring into Prince Vusha's steely blue eyes. 
a pall settled over the table. Noticing the vacuum, Piper cleared her throat and said, Come on, boys. Let's walk. I could use some fresh air. Vusha, Lars, and Mutt excused themselves. Alone, Viva shifted closer to Buster Lee. She lowered her tone and said, I am very sensitive. I am like a fortune teller. I look at a man and I know what to expect. When I look at you, I see uneasiness. You must tell me why. Signaling the waiter for a refill, Buster Lee said, I don't know why, your highness. Adjusting her veil, Viva said, You don't have to call me your highness. You can call me Viva. I could use some sea air too. Let's go outside. Buster Lee, Viva, and Beck left the club room and strolled outside. Buster Lee thought Viva could be deadly in her own way, and if she committed murder, it would be in a manner popular in the 15th century. Looking at the reflection of the moonlight on the black waters below, Viva said to Buster Lee, Ours is a strange country. We have always resisted change. Could that kind of resistance be called decay? said Buster Lee. Placing her hand on Buster Lee's cheek, Viva said, You're like what they say about Americans. You're in a hurry to make changes. It's too bad you're not a noble. I could help you. I could really help you. Soon the world leaders will meet again in secret. All that is ours, all that was stolen will be returned. Rivers, cities, and theaters. Do you understand, Buster Lee? Kiss me now. Dismayed, the young Buster Lee said, Your Highness, I gave you leave to call me Viva and to kiss me, yet you mock me, Buster Lee. I want you to say my name. Say Viva. Buster Lee tried to speak, but nothing came out of his mouth. I want you to repeat my name in your sleep tonight. When you wake up, you will remember to obey my commands. Buster Lee raised his eyebrows and said, Won't that get wearisome, your highness? Or does it remind you of vampires? Looking away, Viva said, Don't you like the children of the night, Buster Lee? You should. You must. Snookered, Buster Lee said nothing. Then, with all of her might, Viva did what any red-blooded woman would do. She slapped Buster Lee. Like a child denied a box of candy, Viva stormed off in a huff. The next morning, Mutt invited Piper McLean to a game of badminton. Dressed in tennis whites, set aside for the cruise, Buster Lee, Lars, and Mutt met the beguiling Piper. After five minutes of play, Piper slumped in the deck chair and said, You boys must think I'm crazy. All my life I wanted to be a princess. Nothing strange about that. But having a great deal of money and no parents doesn't help. What good is a fortune anyway? Just because you have money, you can't rule anyone or anything. You can't make laws. Am I crazy to want this marvelous adventure? No, it's the smartest thing I've ever done since losing my parents that rainy night. Did you know I can't purchase the prince's castle? There's a law in his family that states nothing can be sold. Isn't it exciting? Isn't it romantic? Scratching his head, Mutt said. Did you agree to this? Not yet, but I will, of course. 
said the idealistic heiress. Reaching in her purse, Piper handed an envelope to Buster Lee. Read this over. The letter said that upon Piper McLean's death, the castle would revert back to Vusha's family. It wasn't only a document, as far as Lars understood, it was an invitation to murder. Piper McLean was in grave danger. While Lars remained on the deck with Piper and Beck, Buster Lee went back to his stateroom. Waiting inside was Prince Vusha. After Buster Lee entered, the prince said, I may have signed some ridiculous documents, but I can no more sell my country, my castle, than I can sell my soul. Buster Lee opened the cabin door, signaling Prince Vusha to leave. On his way out, the prince gave Buster Lee a menacing look. Buster Lee felt the hairs on his neck stand up and a knot formed in his tummy. Viva was a wellspring of information. That night, Buster Lee met her again in the club room. Seated, Buster Lee sniffed the air. He was curious about the aroma Viva wore in a locket around her neck. Viva unhooked the tiny flask and passed it to him. Smelling it, Buster Lee said, What is it? Oil of bergamot, concentrated, said the princess. Bergamot is the traditional scent of our village, but I grow weary. If you excuse me, I must turn in. As she had no further commands for the night, the princess rose from the table and glided out the room like a specter. It was 15 degrees cooler and overcast when the Highlander docked in the grim ports of Bulgaria. After clearing immigration, run by what may as well be zombies, Prince Vusha, holding a cane, wearing a cape, white gloves, and a top hat, directed everyone to climb aboard a 60-year-old stretch limousine. From the docks, it would be two hours, traveling on pockmarked roads more characteristic of Somali than Europe to the castle. Like the weather, the mood in the car was somber. There wasn't a lot of conversation. Driving through a forest so dense, sunlight cannot penetrate the canopy, a hangman's rope swung from every other tree. As a limousine approached the castle, a man, a peasant from the village, lurched at the side of the vehicle and banged his fist violently on its tinted windows of bulletproof glass. Prince Vusha scowled and swore in Bulgarian under his breath. Arriving at the 16th century fortress and walking through its high oak doors, a hunchback servant, who was more dead than alive, looked at Lars and pointed upstairs. Picking up the suitcases, Lars said, I'll put the luggage in the stateroom and be down in a few minutes. Standing in the main hall, Buster Lee saw something unexpected. At the servant's side was a beast of a dog. Beck approached the Doberman and the two exchanged scents. To everyone's surprise, despite the size difference between the Doberman and the Blue Healer, it was best friends for life. Petting the giant dog, Lucia said, Ho ho, I missed you, Lobo. I hope you had plenty of exercise and lots of raw meat, hmm? Looking at the main hallway of the castle, with its wide staircase, beautiful gothic chandeliers, an antique wall sconce, Piper was as giddy as a jumping bean. 
She ran through every room with excitement. Stopping in what once had been a library, she squealed. Oh my word, you must see this, Buster Lee. In a darkened room with a ceiling as high as a museum was a diorama containing two live 14-foot-long vampire bats hanging upside down. Behind the bats, standing on its hind legs, was a stuffed 20-foot-tall werewolf. 20 feet tall? That's gigantic! Its eyes were ablaze. Its claws were ready to rip. The beast had fangs as large or nasty as any conjured by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Turning to Prince Vusha, Piper said, This castle is like... Wow, man. I want to see everything now. Miss Piper, replied Vusha. It takes 30 days to see the entire estate. I suggest we start tomorrow. I'm tired. Turning to his manservant, Vusha said, Take Lobel to my room. I have much to say to him. Floating up the staircase, Vusha announced, Dinner is formal and will be served at 9 p.m., and now you will excuse me. Buster turned to Viva and said, Lobo is a handsome dog. He's like all aristocrats, said Viva. Attractive, intelligent, loyal, and dangerous. Piper, in the meantime, was still under the spell of her newly gained castle. Prince Vusha said nothing at dinner. Piper wouldn't stop talking about the castle. Viva looked like someone who'd given an excess of blood. Lars, Mutt, and Buster Lee looked handsome in black tie, and Beck ate a meal of raw Bulgarian grub served in a priceless bowl from the Ottoman dynasty. After supper, the group, including Lobo, the Doberman, and Beck, the Blue Healer, retired to the Grand Room. With a hearth measuring 75 feet long, the room was the very definition of grand. On a credenza as long as the fireplace were fresh coffees, sweets, and nightcaps. Leaning into Buster Lee's ear, Lars said, It's like living in a medieval nightmare. I wonder where this all leads. Pouring himself a drink, Prince Vusha said, Miss Piper, there is still the detail of your signature on our last contract, the one that states, the castle and the land returns to my family's possession upon your death, Piper said. In my excitement, I forgot the contract, but I'll have another drawn up and I will sign it. Isn't that right, Buster Lee? Buster Lee squinted and looked at Lars. The door of the grand room burst open. Wearing a mitre, an alb, and a cincture, a priest appeared. Excuse me for intruding, Prince Vusha, but I just heard of your return. Good evening, Brother Stephen. Please meet my guests. This is Miss Piper, Lars, Keep News, and Buster Lee. Ah yes, Buster Lee. You're Neely Cairo's son. I've heard good things about you and international investigators. Father Stephen turned to Prince Vusha and said, Prince Vusha, I must speak to you about the people of the village. What's going on? said Piper, standing up. Addressing everyone, Father Stephen said, Terror stalks the village. Promises are broken. Men and women hide in their homes. 
Instead of happiness, there's mistrust. Vampires feasted every night for the last 500 years. Do you believe that, Father Stephen? said Busterly. My son, said Father Stephen. I believe in nothing any more, but the people are in terror, and an answer must be given. Prince Vusha said, We cannot change the past. Throughout the evening, Mutt felt something awful was going to happen. Being a keep news, however, he remained silent. The atmosphere in the great room was like holding a lit candle and sitting on a keg of dynamite. The only levity had was seeing Lobo and Beck play. Just as Beck scampered behind a statue of armor, the hunchback servant entered and whispered something in Prince Vusha's ear. That's when the trouble began. The prince rose from his chair and left the room, followed by Buster Lee, Lars, Mutt, and Father Stephen. Piper and Viva cowered in terror and remained behind. In the hallway, lying on the floor lifeless, was a body. Buster Lee recognized him as the old peasant who'd banged on the limousine window when they drove through the village that afternoon. Buster Lee also recognized something else. The scent of a weed. He'd smelled it recently. Touching the cadaver, Buster Lee said, There's no pulse and there's a small wound. Looking down in contempt, Prince Vusha said to the priest, Take him away. I will pray for him and arrange for the burial, said Father Stephen. In the living room, Viva was flummoxed. Piper chewed her nails. Oh, that poor man, it's terrible. What do you think happened, Buster Lee? Unmoved, Prince Viva said. He was probably attacked by a werewolf. Throwing his coffee in the fireplace, Buster said, I doubt that. Viva said, You always sound so definite, Buster Lee. Looking at Viva, Buster Lee said, When I leaned over that poor devil, I smelled bergamot. Pounding her chest, Viva said, So you believe there's a connection between my bergamot and that man's, that man's? Viva took a step back. As if in a small town community play, Prince Vusha stormed into the room and grabbed Lars by his lapels. I warned them all not to leave their homes at night, and that fool paid for it with his life. Pushing Prince Vusha back, Lars said, Is Lobo still in his room? I'd like to look at him right now. I want to see if there's blood on his lips. Releasing his grip on Lars, Vusha said, Mr. Lars, if I understand you correctly, you offered me an insult that neither Lobo nor I could enjoy. I forbid you to see Lobo. Still fuming, Prince Vusha turned to his daughter and grabbing her said, Come here, girl. And they left. Mutt turned to Piper and said, Have you signed the new contract yet? Piper shook her head. Please don't, said Buster Lee. Those papers are your death warrant. Busha and his daughter are mentally ill and are guilty of murder. After the peasants' remains were removed, Lars, Mutt, Beck, and Buster Lee headed upstairs to their quarters. As they closed the door, Prince Vusha and Princess Viva burst in. Vusha was holding a gun. Whatever he was, he wasn't kidding. Viva pulled aside a tapestry behind which was a secret door. With the gun pointed in their direction, Buster Lee, Mutt, Lars, and Beck were hustled through the door 
into a hidden hallway that was shadowy, moist, and cool. Turning a corner, Prince Vusha said, I suppose you know why this must be. Lars said, because we discovered the connection between Viva and the dead peasant. Not exactly, said Vusha. There are many traditions in this family, and you have offended me several times. For this alone, you must die. Just as that peasant was doomed for raising his fist at me. Busterly halted and asked Vusha, have you decided how we are to die? I've always chosen Lobo as my executioner, said Vusha. I've taught him to follow the scent of his prey. I will be sporting with you. Viva will put a few drops of bergamot on your throat and on Beck's coat. Then you will be given a five minute start in the forest before I release Lobo. That's sporting of you, Buster Lee said. I hope you boys enjoy a good chase. Viva reached for her necklace. You should not have treated me with such contempt, Buster Lee. I think we could have been great friends, but that can never be now. I only wish I could be there when Lobo finds you. Appearing like a goblin, Father Stephen arrived, gripping Lobo by his collar. I know what an awful man you are, Prince Vusha. I know how you've used Lobo for evil. Vusha and Viva must die. Without warning, Lobo broke free of Father Stephen's grip and lurched at Viva's throat. He pushed the frail woman to the floor. Fearing Vusha would use his gun on Lobo, Beck bit Vusha's ankle so deep, so hard, the prince lost his balance and dropped his gun. In a desperate move, Vusha reached for the dagger he had hidden in his coat. Beck snapped his razor-sharp teeth deep into Vusha's left calf, causing the man to trip and fall on the dagger. Father Stephen turned over Vusha and saw the dagger had pierced Vusha's heart. Beside Vusha, Viva lay on the floor. Before her final breath, she said, Blast you, Buster Lee. Blast everyone at International Investigators too." Denouement. Groggy, Lobo tilted his head in the way curious dogs do and looked it back. Picking himself off the ground, worse for wear, bow tie undone, Lars said, wherever Vusha and Viva are now, it's too good for them. Once back in the grand room, Father Stephen reached within his robes and removed a small flask. Tipping it to his lips, he said, you know, Buster Lee, most of what passes for morality isn't morality. It's cowardice. Father Stephen took a gulp of the best cider his monastery made. Piper began to sob. Why so sad, girl, said Mutt, running his hand through his long locks of gorgeous blonde hair. These are tears of joy, Mutt. Turning to keep news and tearing up the unsigned legal papers, Piper said, Having friends like you and Buster Lee make me feel like the luckiest girl in the world. You really care about me. You really care. Hearing what sounded like wings fluttering, Buster Lee went to the window and saw the night sky filled with bats. Millions of them. Some of them as large as poodles. You've been listening to The Mysterious World of Buster Lee. 
presented by Adam Ive. Mystery World theme by Oliver Wickham. Follow us on Instagram. Go ampersandpod underscore planet. For show notes and merch, go to podplanet.org. Special thanks to Tattoo Sound and Music. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee is written and produced by podplanet.org. Thank you.